Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 393 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Sunday, February 20th, 2022. There's a lot of twos and zeros in the date today. Uh, lots of twos and zeros. Uh, Duke was 2-0 and this week, so I don't know if that if that is significant. Uh, they almost lost to Wake Forest the other night. I was not uh, on this show to talk about it. But Jason and Donald were. I'm Sam Klein, by the way. I am your host for this episode. I'm joined by Jason, not by Donald today. Jason, good morning. How are you? I do want to tell you a little bit about what happened to Duke this week. But first, I need to say good morning. Yes, again, good morning back to you. Doing pretty well today. Had a enjoyable evening um, watching the Blue Devils uh, just take apart a badly, badly outmanned Florida State. We've talked, I think, a lot recently about how Duke should be having more games like this against yeah. ACC opponents. And this felt like, I don't know if it was the first one this year, but certainly the first one recently where it was like, yeah, Duke just was way better than this other team. And they showed it through the whole game and didn't let them really have a chance. So that felt I mean, very I, good. So first of all, I'd say, uh, look, the BC game kind of felt that 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 way as well. Sure. But but these are uh, you know these are ACC opponents. Uh, even though Florida State was missing a lot of their regulars, they still they still got some talented players. They still have some pride. They're coached by a very very good coach, and they played really hard, and they made it competitive for a while. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, look, we're getting into the game. We sure, should, we, we should do the game the way we usually yes, do. Let headlines. Me, good let me do the <laughs> let me let me do the intro that I had that I had planned out. So Duke beats, by the way, I wanted to say, because I wasn't on the show on Wednesday, thank you guys for picking up the slack for me uh, this week. I, I very much appreciate it. Looking at yesterday. So Saturday night, Duke hosts Florida state in Cameron. The final score is 88 to 70. It sort of felt like it was creeping along to that 20 ish point margin, especially during the second half. It's now a four game winning streak for Duke. And their game upcoming this week, which we will briefly preview after the break, is against Virginia. Of course, the last team that beat Duke four games ago. That game was in Cameron. This game will be in Charlottesville. Will be a, a good test for the Blue Devils, especially now that they've maybe rounded into form a little bit more. The other big result in the ACC yesterday, as far as Duke is concerned, is that uh, Notre Dame loses to Wake Forest, which means, and that was basically Notre Dame's last kind of tough game left on their schedule, uh, which means that Duke is now in first place in the ACC alone, which it was not. It was tied with Notre Dame, but it was it is it is now alone in first place in the ACC with three losses. Notre Dame has four losses. North Carolina and Miami both have five losses. So uh, Duke is, is clearly in front and and controls its own destiny. Notre Dame doesn't play Duke again, so there's no opportunity to to get that one back. The reality is that Duke in terms of getting the number one seed in the ACC tournament, Duke pretty much has a two-game lead at this point because, because we have the tiebreaker with Notre Dame. If we were to drop a game, and I'm not saying we will or not saying we I want us to, but if we were to fall into a tie with Notre Dame, we would still get the number one seed. So we would need to lose two games to not get the number one seed. Um, I don't even want to contemplate that. Uh, and And the reality is, I don't want to lose another game because winning the ACC outright will really mean something and, and would be an accomplishment worth worth being excited about. And Duke's remaining games are against Virginia, Syracuse, Pittsburgh and North Carolina. Among them, there may be one tournament team 
Uh, and I don't even know who that would be. It, yeah. It's very possible that there are no tournament teams left on Duke's regular season schedule. Yeah, but three, so, of the, three of those games are on the road. I mean, the first three of those games are on the road. There's no easy road road game. And I, it is entirely Virginia and Syracuse, especially could absolutely there's no there's yeah. no easy road game Jason but so far this season uh Duke has <laughs> Duke has been trying to fight that narrative in conference Duke has two losses at home and just one on the road so far this season and we said that Duke's getting everybody's best shot on the road this year it might just speak to to how lackluster the ACC is in general so so Duke hopefully on its way to a number one seed in the ACC tournament and its first regular season ACC title in longer than we'd like to remember um the other sort of i guess it's news that came out yesterday is that the ncaa uh men's basketball selection committee did their bracket reveal their their like preliminary bracket reveal we'll talk more about this after the break but duke was projected as the number eight overall team in the tournament and a two seed in the west region so that's obviously not locked in there's still a lot of time before selection sunday during which duke could improve or or hurt their chances uh, as far as NCAA tournament seating goes. But let's talk about the FSU game. Uh, we are going to do, of course, the headlines. As I said, this was an 88 to 70 victory. I will start before I give it to you, Jason. We got one uh, good one that, that, that came in this morning that I wanted to highlight, which was submitted by Jay Cashman, of course, to our email address, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Jay sent us a pen ultimate home victory authored by Coach K, and he he all caps pen uh, in reference to the fact that Duke only has one game after yesterday left in Cameron Indoor Stadium with Coach K. That is the game, of course, to finish the season against UNC. But anyway, thanks to Jay Cashman for that submission. Jay Jay Sun, not Jay Jay Sun. <laughs> what is your headline from Duke's victory against FSU? Uh, badly bruised FSU, no match for deep devils. Um, I, I wanted to highlight both the fact that, you know, we weren't getting the real Florida state in this game. And, and the fact that I, I thought Duke got contributions from, wow, just a ton of different guys played really, really nicely yesterday. Um, it was one of those games where I don't think anybody had like the, had a game where you're like, well, that was unbelievable. You know, one of his best games of the year, but like six or seven different guys had games where you go, yeah, that was a good game. And if you have six or seven guys all playing good at the same time, that's a really good thing. I think I was feeling the same thing when I was writing my headline. I had finally a full strength effort for Duke. So yep. yeah. not, yeah. as you said, not necessarily uh, the, the highlight package game for any of these guys, maybe one or two of them accepted, but, but a really strong performance, as you said, basically for the entire like depth that, that Duke is going to feature in, in the conference tournament and then in the NCAA tournament. So let's get to all of the good and bad. I think there's a lot of good that we can pull out of this game, but where do you want to start, Jason? I mean, I'll start, you know, I, I like to sort of title each one of my, my good things. And, and my first one is many heroes. Um, uh, this was, this was a pretty close game, you know, full credit to FSU. They were keeping it reasonably tight until Joey Baker and Theo John, I thought really stepped up uh, Joey, especially, you know, just, knocking down um, three-pointers, four out of five in the first half. Joey on the game was plus 18 in his plus-minus, which was the second-best plus-minus in the team. He did that in just 13 minutes of action. 
we would have beaten Florida State by close to 60 if Joey had played all 40 minutes. <laughs> uh, the only only shot I think he we missed. call that I think we call that fun with numbers. Yes, yes, exactly. The the only shot he missed from deep, the only three pointer he missed was like a, a heat check he took after he knocked down a couple in a row. Um, and Coach K, by the way, said that Joey Baker's been really great in practice the past couple of days, and that you know he he was due for a game like this. Um, like I mentioned, I, I said Theo John had you know had a spectacular block shot, had a couple you know had a really nice run there in the first half when um, uh, Paula Bancaro and, and Mark Williams got got in foul trouble and were on the bench. Joey and Theo really stepped up and gave Duke a solid halftime lead. And like I said, many heroes. So those guys were the first half heroes. With FSU still sort of in striking distance, the second half hero was really Paulo Bancaro, who around the 12 minute mark had a burst. Um, they just put the game out of reach. Apollo for a few minutes turned into just this unstoppable force. There's an, absolutely no question about that. And then I also wanted to mention Wendell Moore and Trevor Keels just both had great stat stuffer kind of games. They seemed absolutely in control on offense. Their their ability, they were getting where they wanted. They were getting their teammates where they wanted. Um, I'm going to talk more about assists in a little bit, but both those guys were setting everybody up. But I, I just wanted to give you the stat stuffing on them. Wendell Moore. 16 points, seven assists, six steals, five rebounds, and a partridge in a pear tree. And Trevor Keels had 13 points, eight assists, and four rebounds. Just both those guys just filled it up. And this was a game where there were lots of guys filling it up, but Wendell Moore and Trevor Keels, especially, I thought were, were outstanding in this game in terms of being in control the whole time. Yeah. One of the things that I've found, I don't know if it's concerning, but a little bit concerning about this team this season is the lack of defined point guard and the best version of you don't have one point guard. You have maybe three guys that are sort of sharing that duty is what happened last night where Duke was sharing the ball pretty well. It's not like Duke gets an overwhelming uh, percentage of his shots off or percentage of its makes off of assists. Obviously Duke has a lot of guys who are able to create for themselves, Wendell Moore, Paulo Bancaro, but uh, in the, you know, in, in the best version of Duke's offense where they are sharing the ball, I think this is exactly what you want to see. Lots of guys who are able to, to share the ball and get assists where you have multiple players who get five-plus assists in a game. I think that is that is great news for Duke. Zooming out even more, Jason, on your topic of everybody contributing, let's not forget Mike Krzyzewski was back on the sidelines for this one. We know oh, that, yeah. that, he, that he left. I, I don't know if it was mysteriously on Tuesday, but they said that he wasn't feeling well after the game. Uh, and, and which is why he left at halftime or he wasn't able to come back out. It sounds like he was, he was still waiting sort of backstage, but that he was back on the court on Saturday, he was fired up. He seemed, he seemed totally ready to go and, and that the, the crowd was in it with him. The, the quotes that came out, um, I think after the game yesterday, he basically just said that he was, that he was exhausted from a, from a particularly tough run that Duke was on. And and he jokes that, that I think he's like, that's why I'm retiring is because I can't really handle this anymore. It does make you a little concerned that in the ACC tournament and then hopefully deep into the NCAA tournament where there are lots of back to backs or, or two and three nights that, that Coach K won't won't suffer more. But maybe the team is more uh, is more prepared for this. And, and John Shire is being told, like, you know what, th th this might be it. This is this is your time to. Uh, to coach the team. So it was good to see coach K back out there. Cause as we said, he doesn't have many, many games left uh, in Cameron. Yeah. Two things I want to play off that you just said. First one is uh, coach K in the post game. Um, your comments, you're talking about, he, he said pregame in the post game, 
uh, he had a really very funny comment where he started and he said, I'm glad I made it all the way to the end of this game. He said that, you know, they pay me to do the whole game, not portions of it. And, and you know, Coach K is really he, he can be very funny in those postgame um, uh, press conferences. And, and, and the, the entire press conference audience was uh, found that comment to be quite amusing. And then the other thing you were talking about assists very briefly. I wish Donald was here because Donald loves to point out this stat. He loves to point out the percentage, your, your assist percentage, how many assists you had relative to your field goals. Duke yesterday had 25 assists on 32 made field goals. I, I, I stumbled there, so I want to repeat that. 25 assists on 32 made baskets. That's 78% for an assist percentage. That's a monster number. And it, it, there were so many of them that were just beautiful, you know, really aware. I wanted to point out the assist that Wendell Moore had where he throws that three-quarter court pass to A.J. Griffin and A.J. throws it down. I, I mean, at the end of the season, when when they put together the highlight packages at the at the banquet, that's a top I, five play. <laughs> yeah, of the absolutely. Year. Absolutely. Because I, I may be wrong. I think that that play started. No, no, I'm getting wrong. The, I, I thought it started with the Theo John block. The Theo John block. Theo John had a spectacular block that then led to a Joey Baker three pointer. That's um, right. I was trying to remember, uh, which, which will probably be another sequence that you'll see. Maybe not top five, but top 10. It was, it was amazing. The other thing I wanted to highlight from this game, and it's not, I guess it, it's a good for the season that is not uh, as prominent in this game specifically. And maybe now this is where we can talk about individual players. We've already talked a little bit about uh, about a few of those guys who contributed yesterday. Joey Baker, Wendell Moore. I wanted to talk about A.J. Griffin very quickly. Uh, this was not his greatest performance of the season in terms of three-point shooting, just two for six, which is just 33% from outside, which is, I think, like right below where you would think an elite player is supposed to be. But on the season, 48.5% from downtown, which is nuts uh, and and maybe a small sample thing, because if you're actually that good from three, uh, then you're like one of the greatest shooters of all time. Like like this is, you know, Curry Brothers type shooting. A.J. Griffin is 48.5% from three, which makes him 11th nationally. And he's the best uh, shooter among you know, schools in, in what you would even broadly consider power conferences. The guys who are all ahead of A.J. Griffin in three-point shooting nationally are all guys who play at schools who are only getting into the tournament via automatic bid. So, like, we we have probably undersold, as much as we've talked about, like, the emergence of A.J. Griffin, we have probably undersold just how incredible a season he is having from deep. Uh, one of the One of the best, certainly one of the best from a freshman, but one of the best ever, uh, that that AJ Griffin is having. So I wanted to highlight that on a day when his three point percentage actually went down as a result of of last night's game. Yeah, and, and by the way, um, AJ Griffin, all the draft prognosticators, all the mock drafts, now have him as a top five pick. Um, I've seen him fourth, I've seen him fifth, but you don't see him any lower than number five. And I think that's because the NBA really values shooting. <laughs> like if you can hit the three, that's a huge, huge deal in the NBA. And it is clear that AJ Griffin is among, if not the best three point shooters in all of college basketball. I think his shot needs to get quicker and, and the, his release is kind of slow. Like, yeah. Yeah. There's like, there are elements of it that need to get better, but as far as like where you're starting from, when you draft him, you can't, I mean, like if he's that, if he's that accurate, then you have a, a pretty strong base to work off of. Jason, who else from this game 
sort of stood out to you? I know that you've you've mentioned a few of them already, but but take me through some of those other players. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I already said I, I just thought Wendell Moore had an incredible stat line and had such a, you know, he is he's steady. He's not a guy who necessarily is going to wow you all the time, but uh, to to get six steals, seven assists, only two turnovers. And then the other thing I love is his ability to finish around the rim or in, in the in the paint. Um, like there's nobody who uses the rim for protection. Like Wendell loves to go up on one side and then finish on the other side because he knows he can use that rim to prevent shot blockers. Uh, he had a couple yesterday that were just incredibly nifty. He had one where I swear he didn't even look at the basket. He didn't look at the backboard. He just put it up there off the you know, uh, you know, off of, you know, one of these reverse layup kind of things. And he knew it was going in no matter what. And there was nothing FSU's big and long, even with all the injuries, they are a, you know, very, very long team. Um, and, and Wendell was having none of it. It didn't, didn't bother him one bit. I just thought his, his game was outstanding. And, and then I just, I just love it when Duke gets contributions from a lot of guys. And that's, that was the story of that game. Uh, there were so many players who played. We haven't mentioned Mark Williams yet, you know, Mark, you know, did his usual protect the paint and, and get double figures and and slam the ball through. You know, it's like I, I just thought it was a it was a great game all around for so many different guys. Coming back to Wendell Moore very briefly, I think Wendell Moore a few weeks ago, we were saying was in a little bit of a swoon and and not sure if it was the competition getting yeah. better during conference yeah. season. Although given the ACC this year, I don't know how much that would have would have held true. Uh, some of it might have just been general fatigue, but but he has really reemerged to look like his early season self these last few games. And that is huge for Duke where we know uh, going into, into the tournament that it's great to have the talent and it's great to have, you know, the, the, the star freshman, Paulo Bancaro, AJ Griffin, Trevor Keels, et cetera. But that what you need to survive in the tournament is, is strong veteran presence. And Wendell Moore has been all of that in, in recent weeks for Duke. So I'm glad that this, Reemergence appears to be happening at the right time, and hopefully he can maintain that over the next month and a half. Jason, before we wrap up the good, I, I want to give you one last chance. Talk to me a little bit about the rebounding margin for Duke this game, because Duke nearly had had parity at the offensive rebounding end of the court with Florida State. Yeah, <laughs> it was crazy, right? In a game where Duke shot pretty well from the field, um. We, we still, we absolutely own the offensive glass and that is a fatal combination. You know, if a team is shooting well and getting offensive rebounds, that means they're scoring a ton of the time. Um, Duke had 15 offensive rebounds. We got 46.9% of our offensive rebounding opportunities, you know, ended up with us getting the ball. So even when we missed, uh, you know, when we missed a shot, from, we shot better than 50% from the field. Even when we missed, we had almost a 50% chance to get the rebound, which is just a huge, huge number. And Duke ended up winning the boards 41 to 23, uh, you know, huge, almost not quite, but almost doubled them on rebounding. And, you know, I've said it a couple times. I want to stress it again. This was not a regular Florida state team. They were missing a ton of players and, and, and they played really hard. The guys they had came to play and played about as well as I think as they could. But when you've got a team like that, that is, really outclassed. I, I love it when you are able to dominate the game in so many different phases of the game. And then the last thing I wanted to mention in the good really quick, Coach K pointed this out in the post game. Uh, he said the crowd was outstanding, that the crazies were really strong. 
and and you could feel it through the television. I wish I was there. Boy, I wish I was there. But you could feel through the TV how how engaged the crowd was. And Coach K said that you know you you could kind of sense in his comments that he can sense that that he knows that the end is near, that this was his second to last game in Cameron, and that he really relished it. And and he he wanted to tip his cap to the crowd that that really brought it yesterday. And uh, only one more left. Sam, by the way, did you see what what they said tickets are going for for the Carolina game? No, I, I I was watching the game at a bar, so I missed all the commentary. Oh, oh, they had a little graphic on the screen. They said tickets for the Carolina game are going for as much as $80,000 a seat. That's a real number. My wife <laughs> saw that. That's a lot of money. <laughs> My wife saw that and she said, I want you to know, honey, if you had tickets, we would take $160,000 for a pair of tickets. We would not be going to the game. <laughs> it, 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 look, it hits different when it's the Duke Carolina yeah. game and it hits especially different when it is when it is coach K's coach K's last game in in Cameron so uh, but yeah. but we need to not look ahead to that I mean this is one of the things the team talked about this do not look ahead too much to to that game we have three road games coming up first and and uh like right it's very easy to get to get distracted by that all right I, I want to move away uh, from the good and talk about the bad. And I want to set this up very quickly. I was going to say, talk about the bad in a game where there was enough time for Michael Savarino to hit a three, uh, which reminded <laughs> me, which reminded me to do a quick update on the current state of the, of the stats game. I believe I'm looking at this correctly. Savarino has nine points this season. Keenan Worthington has three. Spencer Hubbard has as one. Uh, which means that Duke has 13 points. That's a ton of points from walk-ons. That's a There's ton. 13 points. And and I was looking at our predictions from earlier this season. Donald has won this category now. Uh, he only guessed that Duke was going to get 10 points from walk-ons this season. Uh, I think what we underestimated was how bad the ACC was going to be and the opportunities in conference for guys to get points. So, yeah. Um, what was so, my, yeah. I, I probably had a number like five or something like that. You had right? five. I had seven. Yeah. Donald had 10. And you yeah. were laughing at us. You were like, you guys are stupid. Uh, yeah. Oh, most years, the walk-on <laughs> score like five points total. Yeah, it, exactly. It's, it's so, been a huge season for them. In a game where the walk-ons contributed a three-pointer, Jason, what was the bad? Uh, so the first bad is, our, our, let's be honest, our defense was not great, especially in the first half. We allowed Florida State to get a lot of easy looks. Um, they sliced and diced their way through our defense, um, and they, they got shots in the lane. And they got our big men into foul trouble. Paulo and and Mark Williams both got into foul trouble. Um, really interesting. Coach K in the postgame said that in the first half, Duke was going for steals too much. I think because we we knew we were playing a, a lesser Florida State team that we were like, oh, we're going to go out there and we're going to, you know, get a lot of steals um, and, you know, get a lot of breakaways and stuff that way. And, and that that allowed guys to blow by their men on the perimeter and get into the lane, which, you know, causes problems on the defense. And he said that if you control the dribbler, if you put pressure on the ball, the steals will come anyway, but the guys won't get into the lane on you. And he said he pointed that out to guys at halftime and that Duke really adjusted. You know, Florida State at one point in the first half, like at about the 16 or 17 minute mark, they were hitting 70% from the field. That's a huge number. They, they were hitting everything because they were getting easy shots. The Duke defense was not great. Now, Florida State finished the game hitting only about 50%, which is still a good number, um, especially for a badly depleted club. 
but but it's obviously way better than the the 70% that they were on for most of the first half. But I did want to note, Sam, like a week or two ago, Duke's defensive defensive efficiency was up to like number 11 in the country on Ken Palm. We were almost a top 10 team in the country on defense, and it's really slipped lately. Um, we're down. We're currently at number 23. Now, it's not fatal. It's not, you know, the end of the world that Duke is number 23 in the country on defense uh, because our offense has been has been pretty good lately. But uh, I, I did want to note that it feels like Duke has been slipping on defense lately. And and we played a bad Florida State team yesterday, and they they still they'll still they still scored fairly well against us. It, it it wasn't super pretty all the time. Yeah, there's something about uh, having an opportunistic defense, which is what Duke likes to play. Uh, be it going for steals or going for blocks, that occasionally leads to stretches like we saw in the first half yesterday, which is concerning, I guess, on on one hand, because it's like, well, how can you not? like keep Florida state out of the lane. We know that they're not as talented as Duke, but at the same time, if Duke's going to have a game where they're going to, you know, steal the ball 15 times, uh, this is, this is part of, of the way that goes. It's just a little bit more volatile way to play. Florida state got great shots. As you said yesterday, Jason, lots of shots, like not just in the paint, but, uh, but, but inside the, um, the charge circle, as, as they say. So, um, you know, a lot of dunks, area, yeah. a lot of, yeah, yeah, exactly. A lot of dunks, a lot of, uh, a lot of layups, and that is going to lead to a really high, um, uh, really high shooting percentage for the other team, which is annoying. Uh, I, I didn't have Jason. That was basically the, the main thing that I had in the bad here. So you've got, <laughs> you've got my, my one topic. I should have, I should have asked you, but anything else on the bad here before we take our break in a, in a victory for Duke, an 18 point going away victory. Uh, yeah, um, I've got something in the bad that I've, that's been in the bad for me a lot this year. Uh, Jeremy Roach, he posted a negative 10. His plus minus was negative 10 in a game where virtually the entire team was, you know, like plus 13, plus 15, plus 18, plus 20. Um, Duke is consistently, you know, other than a couple aberrations over the past couple weeks, Duke is way worse with Jeremy Roach on the floor than when he's on the bench. And I hate that. I love the kid, but he, he, he had yet another really poor game. He had some very careless turnovers. He had, he had a number of plays where, you know, he made a play too dangerous and he turned it over as a result. Um, He led the team in turnovers despite only playing 17 minutes. And, and remember that Trevor Keels and Wendell Moore, even when Jeremy Roach is in the game, Trevor Keels and Wendell Moore are, taking the primary ball handler role for the most part. Um, I mean, Jeremy Roach did have five assists and he, he made some very, very nifty passes. There are a couple of beautiful passes, but he just can't consistently be far and away last on the team in plus minus Duke can't consistently be a lot worse with Jeremy Roach on the floor than any other lineup. It, it's, it's troublesome because we need, if he plays well, Duke's bench suddenly becomes really good. Right. Um, the, the, and, and, yeah. and Duke's margin for error in terms of bench production is pretty slim. Like yesterday, Joey Baker had had one of his like we know these games happen from time to time. Yeah. Joey Baker yeah. comes in and makes four three pointers all in the first half to be, you know, the, the, the lift for Duke. But by, by, by and, the way, by the way, Joey's defense was also excellent. In the postgame, they talked about the fact that Joey played Joey played probably his best defensive game of the season. Yesterday, probably his best overall game of the season yesterday. But we don't. But, yeah, we but don't we're, we're not going to get that every day. Any of him. that. Right. Yeah. So so Duke's got a a seven man rotation. If you don't include Joey Baker, 
um, because one of Roach and Keels comes off the bench and Theo John comes off the bench to, to spell Mark Williams for long stretches, especially as you pointed out when Mark Williams is in foul trouble. Uh, so Jeremy Roach is a key part of that rotation, whether he is starting or not starting because, because Moore and, and Keels and Griffin all have to get time on the bench just to rest up during the games. So yeah, it, it's concerning for me that, that Roach hasn't figured out. Uh, I, I don't know if it, that it, that it's concerned about his role here because there's been a little bit of, of lineup shuffling going on, but yeah, the, the, the continued, um, negative plus minus for him is, is concerning. And you know, looking ahead, I think that there's a great opportunity for Jeremy Roach. If you want to spin this really positively, there's a great opportunity for him to watch all the tape from this season over the summer and come back next year because Duke does not have a a point guard uh, coming in to to replace him next season. The only the only like smaller guy coming in is Jaden Shoot, and he's not ranked as a as the sort of guy that's like immediately taking over 35 minutes in the backcourt. So there is plenty of time for Jeremy Roach to be playing next season and to have a breakout based on, you know, watching all the film from this season and, and, and playing with all these star players, most of whom are probably going to be in the NBA next year. Yeah. Well, uh, the only thing I'd say is unless Caleb Foster reclass, there's a possibility that Caleb Foster will reclassify. Um, uh, but I don't, I don't, you know, we'll cross that bridge when that happens. Exactly. We're, we're, we're still a ways away from this. Yeah. And, and the one thing I want to say about Jeremy Roach is I think, Remember, he had when Keels got hurt, uh, Jeremy Roach had a string of um, I want to say it was like maybe three games in a row where he was really good, um, where he took on more of a primary ball handler role. I think that one of the reasons we've seen Jeremy Roach struggling so much is that he's not taking that primary ball handler role that Duke is is giving that mostly to Wendell Moore and Trevor Keels. Um, I, I think that uh, if we're looking ahead to next year, which is what you were sort of just doing there. Jeremy Roach will almost certainly be the primary ball handler next year. And in that case, I, I, I think he's, I think he's basically, I think he's better on the ball than off the ball. And, and one of the reasons he's been struggling, you know, in his role this year is that he's being, he's playing a lot more off the ball, I think, than he probably ever has in his career. And uh, I, so I, 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 he can be really good for this team. Um, it's just a question of him figuring out exactly what that role is. And, and I think he will be really good next year when, when he, when he knows his role a little bit better. So let's leave the bad there. When we come back from the break, as I said, we have to talk about Duke's upcoming game against Virginia. Duke of course lost to the Cavaliers a few weeks ago. So that is a big deal coming up on Wednesday. We'll also get into the NCAA's uh, bracket reveal their preliminary top 16 reveal from yesterday as well as our player of the week awards so stick around so as we mentioned before the break duke heads to Charlottesville on Wednesday for a rematch with Virginia. As we all remember, Duke lost to Virginia in a close one in Cameron just a couple weeks ago, a 69-68 victory for the Hoos. Ken Palm has this as a as a five-point victory for Duke, uh, 69% chance that Duke is going to leave Charlottesville with a win. But Jason, as we sort of look at Virginia and kind of reflect on on their recent games and on Duke's recent games, what do you think Duke has to do to overcome the Cavaliers in you know in in that road environment? So 
there are a couple of things that I've highlighted from this game. The first one is I think they got to keep Caden Shedrick from having another big game. Um, he's, he's the big man who killed us in the last game. He had 16 points on eight of eight shooting. Um, he had a really good game against Miami, uh, which was Virginia's most recent contest. He had 13 points and 13 rebounds against Miami. We cannot let he's a kid from North Carolina. We cannot let Caden Shedrick have a big game again against Duke. Uh, Virginia to, is probably playing their best basketball. They're, they're certainly playing their best basketball of the year. During the month of February, they are six and one. Um, their only loss, their only blemish uh, is a road game at Virginia Tech. There's no shame in, in losing at Virginia Tech. Um, and like I said, they're coming off a really nice win at Miami. Anytime you can win at Miami, that's that's really good. And I mentioned Caden Shedrick. The other guy I think that we have to keep an eye on who's been really killing it for them lately is Jaden Gardner. He is making a late push for first team all ACC. Probably doesn't get there, but he's making a push for it. Um, he has now been in double figures in 10 consecutive games. Over his last four games, he's averaging more than 20 points per game. And he's a guy who's just going to put the ball, put his head down, put the ball on the floor, get into the paint, and, and try and score on you around the basket. He is no threat to shoot from the outside. Jaden Gardner hasn't even attempted a three-pointer since January 12th. It's been more than a month since the guy even took a three-pointer. He is 6'6". He's built like a tank. He's almost 250 pounds. We need Paulo and AJ, who are probably the guys who are going to guard him most of the game. Maybe Wendell Moore, but probably Paulo and AJ. We need them to have a really good defensive game and not get into foul trouble and not let Jaden Gardner get in the lane and consistently carve up the Duke defense because that's been how Virginia's been winning games lately. Jason, the thing that intrigued me was you mentioned Virginia's been um, been really strong recently other than a loss at Virginia Tech. And of course, no shame in losing at Virginia Tech, but I wanted to dive into that one a little bit more. It was a 62 to 53 game, which sounds very much like a Virginia game, um, but both teams had pretty bad shooting days. Uh, Virginia Tech did, uh, didn't allow Virginia to make a single three-pointer and and Virginia only made uh, about 48% of their two-point shots, which is fine, not great. Um, so I think the the key here, and this was this was a, a classic slow Virginia game, but one where they lost by nearly 10 points. I think the message here is that Duke allowed Virginia to dictate pace in that in that first game, and and they played Virginia's style, and and I think part of that uh, or that that contributed part of what I felt like was was Duke sort of letting Virginia play their way. This game that that they played against the Hokies the other night sort of proves that you can play Virginia's game and still and still beat them fairly comfortably. Um, Virginia had had sort of crept up. They they were leading Virginia Tech at halftime, but then completely fell apart early in the second half against the Hokies. Um, Duke can do that too, and they can do that in Charlottesville as much as they could have done it in Durham. So uh, Virginia's not not a great scoring team get them out of their rhythm. Don't let them, don't let them get threes. And, and Duke should, you know, recent history aside should be able to beat this version of Virginia fairly comfortably. Yeah. You know, what's interesting though, like the game they just won against Miami, they, they won that game 74 to 71, like uh, Virginia scored 74 points. Their opponent scored 71 points. I mean, <laughs> uh, it's, it's crazy, you know, how, how sometimes, Virginia is, uh, is able to play a little bit faster. Hey, the last thing I wanted to mention really quick about this game is that I love the fact that the Duke players aren't just looking ahead 
to the UNC game. In the post-game interviews from, from Duke's game against Florida State, uh, all the players were asked about, oh, you know, Coach K's last game in Cameron's coming up. And they all had the same answer. They all were like, we're not even thinking about that. We have three road games. We've got Virginia on the road next. And they all seemed absolutely focused on playing Virginia. Wendell Moore talked about the fact in the post game that the team has a goal to win three titles this year, the ACC regular season, the ACC tournament, and the NCAA tournament. And he said, the first one's the ACC regular season. And he said, we don't want to tie for it. We want to win it. And he said, and that doesn't happen until we beat Virginia at Virginia. He said, that doesn't happen until we win these road games coming up. And then we can worry about Coach K's last game in Cameron. And I just love that answer. And I love that focus from the team because that's where their heads need to be against a good Virginia team that is absolutely, uh, you, you said it, Ken Palm, Duke's only got a 60 something percent chance of winning this game, according to Ken Palm. And frankly, Ken Palm probably underrates Virginia a little bit because Virginia has been playing a lot better lately than they were earlier in the season. So this may be a 50, this is a toss up game. It's 50, 50 game as far as I'm concerned. So that is Duke's Wednesday game against Virginia. We'll be back to talk about the result of that game afterwards, unless there is more breaking news. And in a season where coach K is sitting out with the, with, with illnesses and stuff, we, we can't rule anything out. It is NBA all-star weekend. So um, not a lot, not a lot in the NBA that's current for us to be talking about. Although cool to see some Dukies uh, participating in NBA all-star weekend. Jason, I wanted to talk about the uh, 16 team bracket that the NCAA put out the other night. So I, I, I'll give you a few of the details that are kind of most pertinent for Duke fans. The number one seeds in this um, in this preliminary bracket, Gonzaga, Auburn, Arizona, and Kansas. Of course, Duke already has a victory over one of those teams this season. That was Gonzaga, who's the number one overall seed right now. Duke is with the two seeds next to Purdue, Baylor, and Kentucky. Duke, of course, also has a victory over Kentucky this season. So um, good to see that the Duke's got the resume, at least at the at the the good end of being able to beat some of those top teams. But the the uh, resulting uh, sort of shakeout of that is that Duke is the number eight overall seed. They're a number two seed in in the West region, uh, which is Gonzaga's region, and the other uh, two teams that are in Duke's region are Illinois and Texas. So uh, I know that it's early. All of this is is not subject to change. All of this is going to change because there are a lot of games left uh, in the regular season and in conference tournaments. But what did you think, Jason, of the committee's sort of look at Duke as of today? So the one of the interesting things is Duke is a two seed, but I think we're just barely a two seed. And, I, and I'll explain why I think that. Uh, they, they had Kentucky as the number seven team and Duke as the number eight team. And they said that if teams had a head-to-head result and they were sort of right next to each other in the bracket, they would tend to, to flip them. Like if Kentucky and Kansas are right next to each other, they're going to give Kentucky an advantage over Kansas. They're going to bump them ahead of Kansas because Kentucky absolutely whooped up on Kansas uh, at Kansas earlier this season. So here we have Duke and Kentucky right next to each other on the two line, but they still left Kentucky ahead of Duke. That says to me the fact that the fact that Duke beat Kentucky wasn't enough for them to say, okay, we're going to move Duke ahead of Kentucky. It says to me that Duke is further back behind those other two seeds than the, you know, than the, than the actual numbers might indicate. Uh, I, I think that we probably need a good bit of help to move up. The, the fact that the ACC is really weak doesn't give Duke many chances to help ourselves, you know, by, by, you know, having a dramatic win. Basically, we win 
we stay where we are and what we hope is that other teams lose and that we move up that way. For example, Auburn already lost. Now, Auburn's not falling below Duke yet. They probably need at least one, maybe two more losses for that to happen. So, uh, but the bottom line is, uh, even if Duke wins out, and I haven't really been, I've been saying for a, for a while that if Duke wins out, they'll get a one seed. I actually think even if Duke wins out at this point, and I mean all our regular season games and the ACC tournament, there's a there's a scenario where we don't get to a number one seed. I saw some chatter on, on Twitter yesterday about how, oh, this is like, here's Duke's path to a number one seed. I think I mostly agree with you that when you look at this at this bracket, it's not like, you know, the upside is that, is that Duke has those victories against some of the top teams, yeah. but those are already in here and, and they're already accounted for. Duke doesn't have any games left against any of the other teams that are anywhere close to them in the bracket. And this is the downside of, of being in a, in a bad conference this season is that, you know, Auburn is going to right. Auburn has to play some of these other good teams. They have, they have to potentially play Kentucky again, Arkansas, um, Tennessee, Tennessee, these other teams yeah. that are, that are well-regarded. Um, Duke doesn't have any of those games left on its schedule, no matter kind of what happens. So I kind of agree with you that if it's not, you know, let's say Auburn does lose all of their remaining games to other good teams. Um, there's still Arizona and Kansas and Purdue and Baylor all behind them. And it's and unlikely, right. Yeah. It's unlikely that all of these teams are going to suffer like multiple bad losses. And Duke might be farther from, from a, a Baylor or a Kentucky than they are from, from the three seed teams. Oh yeah. Oh, I, I was going to say, look, I, I, I think probably Duke's going to end up as a two seed. You know, if I, if I project everything, <laughs> which is a little crazy, but I think it's more likely that Duke ends up as a three seed than they end up as as a one seed. There's still a there's still a path, but the path probably requires some other teams to stumble, um, and and the path I think almost certainly requires Duke to be perfect the rest of the way. Not that they can't; they 100% can. Uh, hey, Sam. The the other thing I wanted to point out really quick: there are a couple sort of weird quirks, so to speak, of of this uh, of of this reveal that that are hard for me to figure out. And it's two teams specifically, it's Providence and Houston. So, so here's the deal. Providence has a resume that looks fantastic in terms of the teams they've beaten and lost to Providence looks, you know, absolutely like they could be a two seed. Um, and that's because they are nine and one in games decided by five points or less. They win all their close games, but they've gotten blown out a couple times and the advanced metrics, the advanced predictive stats, they don't really love it when you win a close game. So like Providence is 45th in Ken Pomeroy's rankings. And so the committee clearly recognized, Hey, their, their record looks really good, but, but the predictive metrics, you know, in terms of actually how they've done overall, it's not as impressive as it might seem. And, and they made Providence one of the last four seeds. So you would look at that and say, Oh, the committee's really paying attention to stuff like Ken Pomeroy's rankings that, and Bart Torvik, who have Providence in the 40s, and they made Providence a four seed. On the other hand, you've got a team like Houston. Houston's seventh in Ken Palm. They're fourth in the net. But the committee put Houston on the four seed line as well, even though those predictive metrics would say Houston should be a two seed. And that's because Houston doesn't have any good wins. I mean, I think, I think the best team Houston's beaten is Virginia. They just haven't, they haven't played a lot of good teams, and they, so they don't have any good wins. So it's sort of hard to figure out what the committee is looking at here because on the one hand, you have a team that's bad in the advanced metrics and they give them a, you know, a bad seed. 
relative to their record. We've got another team that's really good in the advanced metrics and they give them a bad seed because they haven't played anybody. So I can't figure it out. <laughs> I just thought Providence and Houston to me were two of them were like, it I mean, I think it goes it, it goes to show you that they're using both the old and the and the new yeah. when they're evaluating these teams, which I think is right. Um, there is there is something to be said for winning the games um, and Providence is winning the games. So but there's also, you know, uh, a, an argument for teams like Houston. So I appreciate that the that the committee is actually mixing and matching here. You and I and Donald, when we talk about these games, um, I think that we we sometimes maybe over index on the advanced stats because there are elements to being able to win the close game that are important to winning in the NCAA tournament. And nobody cares who was number one in Ken Palm at the end of the season. Uh, people care who gets to hoist the trophy. Uh, as far as Ken, Ken Palm and the, uh, and I think the net um, and Bart Torvik, when Duke lost by one point to Florida state, when Duke lost by one point to Virginia, if Duke had instead won those games by one point, like Ken Palm treats a one-point loss and a one-point win very, very similarly. Um, on the other hand, we know that there's a huge difference in winning by one and losing by one. So, so yeah, I agree with you. I, I kind of like the fact that it's not all advanced predictive metrics uh, because it does matter if you there's – a, there's a big difference in a one-point win and a one-point loss. I was also looking at, you know, in terms of the placements for Duke at where the, um, at where the sites were for these – um, for the Sweet 16, for the first round, Duke, as long as it's a you know one, two, three seed, is probably going to get to play in Greenville. And if they don't get to play in Greenville, they're going to get to play in like Pittsburgh. So it's not like Duke is is likely to travel far for right. those first round games. For the for the second weekend, um, all the games in the second weekend are being played in basketball arenas this year, which I think is a is a departure from the uh, from from the typical setup where there's usually a football arena or two sprinkled in. But they're all places where I think. Um, even if Duke doesn't get to play in Philadelphia, which is probably its preferred destination, um, places where Duke is, other than maybe San Antonio, all of them are places where Duke is likely to have a lot of fans. Chicago and, and San Francisco are, are good hubs for, for Duke alums. So I'm not yeah. really worried about Duke getting shipped far away and, and the implications for that this season. Okay, we, we can't speculate too much about that right now. Let's wrap with our player of the week picks and then get out of here. Uh, I'll give you your shot first, Jason. Who was your player of the week for Duke's two victories against Wake Forest and Florida State? Uh, so when you asked me, uh, you know, who individually to rave about from the Florida State game, I picked Wendell Moore, and Wendell Moore was my player of the week. 32 points. He scored 16 points in each game. 32 total points, 11 total rebounds, 12 assists, just four turnovers. Again, 12 assists and only four turnovers. And he had eight steals. Played some really great D on Alondis Williams earlier this week. Uh, look, the, the guy had two of his 10, 5, and 5 games. In fact, you know, they weren't even really close to not being 10, 5, and 5 games. And to have that many steals to go with it, I thought Wendell Moore was, and, and the leadership and the defense, to me, it wasn't a really difficult decision. Wendell Moore was the player of the week. Yep, I had the exact same uh, details written down, so I don't want to belabor the point. Uh, but <laughs> just to, I, I did want to reiterate that it's great to have Wendell Moore returning to form here at this point in the season, especially when we know that that the freshmen in particular can start to hit the wall at, at this point in the year. And it's good to have the upperclassmen picking up the slack for them. So Wendell Moore is our consensus player of the week. We will get out of here on that. Like I said, we'll be back to review the Virginia game after that happens this week. But until then, 
stay in touch with us, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Of course, keep sending us the headlines as we've been as we've been putting out on the show. So for Jason, who is here, for Donald, who is not, I am Sam Klein. This has been episode 393 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast, Duke Band. Take us home. <laughs>